From Mushroom, this is some of my best work. I'm Jane Rocker, music and culture journalist. Peter Black is a founding member of Sydney's most influential punk band, The Hard-Ons. Joey Ramone would play The Hard-Ons on his radio show and they got to travel the world many times over. One of the highlights is the song, Just Being With You. As of 2021, UMI's Tim Rogers has become the new lead singer of this iconic Sydney band. They've recently released an album, I'm Sorry Sir, That Riff's Been Taken, and it's out wherever you get your music. Links in the show notes. Pete Black is one of the founding members of the Hard-Ons. Taking the band from Punchbowl, New South Wales, around the world and back again from the 80s to today. Consistently, you'll hear the stories that it's always been about the music for Blackie. And it's landed him in the enviable position of being able to say, I wouldn't change a thing. The work he's chosen is Just Being With You, written by Blackie and released in 1989. Maybe you might be able to tell me why Just Being With You stood out to you as the one that you wanted to talk with us today. You know what, I... I kind of can't. It's it's really, really difficult for me. There's almost no way you can talk about this sort of stuff without sounding a bit wonky. But yep. for me, I've kind of, I've sort of looked at, I guess, what people would consider our early classic era. And I sort of picked that one because I can remember quite well when the song came to me and it was, it was kind of exotic because I was in Europe when it happened. Uh, I was on tour and... I never went anywhere with, without something to record, like a dictaphone. And I had a little, um, like a mini cassette recorder. The hotel we stayed in was fucking amazing. Like, you know, it looked like from the set of some Alfred Hitchcock movie. And it was, you know, it was after the gig. I was the only one in, in the hotel because I think the other guys went and partied. I was, you know, tired or, you know, whatever. You know, they had these massive long windows and the wind was blowing curtains and, you know, all that sort of surreal shit. And I don't know, just feeling good, like life was awesome. Here I am on tour playing music, the thing I just absolutely adore doing. And, yeah, oh, shit, i got a riff. And then I had to race and get my dictaphone and, yeah, that song was born there. And which city in Europe were you? I, I cannot remember. Oh, you can't remember. You were on tour though. Yeah. Well, it must have been a good tour. I can imagine being in the hard-ons at, at any stage of your careers, but particularly then would have been a, a bit of, oh, where were we and what was happening? We're having such a good time. Yeah, you know, like Ray's really good at remembering and and, and sometimes I think there's, there's no way he can remember this. He must be, he must be making his shit up because I remember something <laughs> like, Man, do you remember that venue that had that weird little park next to us? And, you know, when we went out in the morning to have, you know, coffee, like a donkey came up and, you know, we're patting a donkey and shit. And I was like, oh, yes, that was August, blah, 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 blah. We played with blah, 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 band. And, um, yeah, merch was really good that night. It's like, you know, and I would look at him and go, fuck off, you don't remember. You know, <laughs> you're making this shit up. So tell me, I guess, I mean, the 90s, Ah, quite a long time ago. I mean, we were there. I remember seeing your band play a number of times and such a great moment in rock and roll, really, particularly in Australia too. But what do you remember of that time and 
just writing songs around that time too, Blackie? Man, I do remember, like, as you say, like, it was a really, really good time for music. And I, I do, I think what I was really conscious of was how proud I was of what us Aussie bands were doing. You know, I thought, you know, I thought the same in the 70s, really. But, you know, that's in a bit more revisionist because, you know, I was born, like, I did see X and um, I think I saw one of Birthday Party's last ever gigs in Sydney. And, um, you know, so I missed that first wave. But, you know, I, when I went back to that era, I was sort of, you know, here like, you know, birthday party or X or Saints and thing. Far out. But, you know, for, for a population with such a small, um, uh, for a country with such a small population, we really kicked above our weight. And when we started touring Europe and, you know, doing really well and smashing it, and then, you know, People were just enthralled with Aussie music. And I just remember being proud. And, you know, people come up after a gig and go, oh, I really loved your concert. Please tell me what these celibate rifles doing. You know, and it'd be like, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it was, yeah, it was, it was just a really good, I guess, golden time for, you know, Aussie indie guitar rock in general. I mean, I know it's hard to sort of focus in on this song and try and extract as much as we can out of you about it. It being released or memories of playing it live and why you think it resonated with so many of your fans and became you know a bit of a cornerstone of of your sound at that time too when that initial riff and melody came and it came almost almost with the chorus as well um it didn't take that much work it was one of those songs that fell together quite quickly i do remember thinking oh man that's that feels like something whenever you get that feeling and, you know, I would have hummed it into my dictaphone, left a few notes like, oh, you know, it's mid-paced, blah, blah, blah. I think singing should come in there and, you know, just little mnemonic things, you know, so I could remember when I got home and I could, you know, work on it more. I do remember that feeling really, really vividly. And then also with recording, I think we actually recorded it twice because we did try to do a new studio with a new engineer and it didn't work. It didn't have the energy. And then when we went to another studio and did it there and heard and we just looked at John and went, oh man, that's got to be a single. You know, it, it just sounded fat, catchy and just had that, just had that energy slash excitement that <laughs> most songwriters hoping to get out of their stuff. What about the lyrics and how do the lyrics come to you when you're writing a song? And in this case, I would have got the first line. I do remember the first line being quite vivid. You know, I, I could be making up my memory, but um, I think sometimes you do get a phrase or a, a couple of sentences together that you feel, okay, this sounds really musical. This sounds really catchy. And I've always struggled with lyrics. Like, you know, when I, when I listen back to those lyrics, I think, man, these are hokey as fuck, you know. I'm so glad just to be with you. It's like, you know, technically dreadful. But I don't know, it just, because it came with the initial burst of the, of the track, that's just the way it had to be. You know, for me, it was like, like like anything, like, you know, like I say a song like, um, don't want to see you cry, you know. It's like, now is that you again? Whatever the first line that comes to me, it's like, well, this is what I have to write the song around. There's almost... No way for me to eradicate that first line and start again from scratch. I mean, it's kind of weird because when I when I look back on it, I actually don't think it's a musical step up. 
maybe it was in production or catchiness or, or you know whatever but i remember yeah a lot of the reviews were like oh this is you know this is hard ons you know amping up the uh ante a little and i was like oh that's, that's really cool did it become sort of a song that you always played yeah it is one of the staples and we kind of still do it even now we're not one of those bands that you know just goes out there and plays new stuff like far out if i went to saw slayer you know and they didn't play around in blood i'd be pretty pissed off so i know you know like when we go out to play live you know regardless of you know how i'm excited about every, every single new song and even the songs that aren't even finished yet and i just want to play them that's really disrespectful to people have come and see you and and that was probably why I also chose this song because this is one that does get picked a lot by the guys. It's like, oh, let's play, you know, just being with you again. So I was also going to ask you if you can remember who the song was written about. Or how did the idea come to you? You know, and I love the fart line. I mean, my kids were like, ask him about the fart. <laughs> you know, my, my reason for doing that sort of shit is, see how I fall over when I try to really, really explain something? <laughs> In a really weird way, it's like, believe it or not, keeping it real. I mean, look, when you're with someone and you, you know, you love everything about them, even when they fart is funny or comical or... You know, <laughs> that's oh, did you have to, you know, all that sort of thing. So that's why that line popped in there. It was, I know it sounds insanely childish, but I find it sometimes weird that you get people talking about, you know, like love songs and they kind of seem, you know, unattainable. Like, you know, she's this, she, he, you know, she's this, he's that, you know, they are, they are whatever. But, you know, it's like, nah. They would still need to go to the toilet. They would still fart. They would still have something stuck on their mouth as they were eating and embarrassing your parents, you know. All those things happen as well. So it sounds throwaway, but I know. And look, we would have got a chuckle from it as well, but it's also, it. <laughs> this is why my words fall over before, because it sounds weird. It's still heartfelt. <laughs> <laughs> That's like that doesn't sound right, but but it is, damn it. Maybe a little about how the past informs the present and what you've taken from a late 80s, early 90s period of, of hard-ons that's part of the DNA in what we hear today. I reckon every, wholesale, every little bit of it. Okay, look, music's different for everyone. You know, for me, it's a continuous journey and, like, I'm constantly after new stuff, you know, wanting to l learn new stuff. I guess, for instance, in the last maybe couple of years, I've sort of um, gone back to rediscover disco that I haven't liked, you know, didn't like when I was younger. Hell of a lot into uh, uh, reggae music, which, you know, I didn't particularly, which I just couldn't understand when I was younger. And uh, also gospel. And then, you know, then I'll get friends of mine and it's like, what, you don't listen to Dand anymore? And it's like, what can I do? You know, there's hardly a time I get in my car or, you know, I don't want to hear discharge or the damned or the stains and you know you know for me it's like none of that is gone everything is still there i just love adding more shit on top of it all of it every little bit of it you know for me it's like there is not one bit of music you can't learn from and 
you know, I even sort of learned not, you know, not that long ago that even from crap songs you can learn shit because, you know, for me it's not, you know, I, I know it sounds weird, but it's like, it's not like, you know, you hear a shit song, like one that really gets you and you think, oh man, I can't stand this song. This song makes me want to break something. And then you sort of stop and go, I wonder why. And then you sort of, you know, you start dissecting the song and it's like, oh, that's a terrible middle eight. The chorus is lazy. You know, you can tell that the guy's ripped off the, you know, the first verse from, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, that sort of thing. So, I don't know. That That's music for me. It's like this really big 360 thing. I hear a song and it's almost like I'm in the middle of it. What I've taken from back then, all of it, it's all still there. And I still fucking love every note of it. You know, I've never gone tired of the Ramones or the Saints or... You know, ACDC or or Zeppelin or any, you know, Deep Purple, any of those bands that, you know, first sort of made me notice, you know, music in the first place. I didn't get tired of any of that shit. And yeah, you know, just as time goes on, I just put more shit on top of it. Maybe anything that sort of happened career-wise after releasing the song we're talking about, you know, and, and what might have come for the hard-ons after that and because of that song? I guess for a lot of people, our pop peak afterwards would have been, like after that, and it was sort of like a continuation, would have been Yummy. I know that was a, an album that was, I guess, fan-wise really popular with people. When that was done, I mean, me personally, and I, and I guess... You know, because I can only talk for myself, but I reckon the rest of the guys felt this as well. We felt like, okay, we've done this enough. It's time to try a couple of different things. And then the record that we did after Yummy, Too Far Gone, was poo-pooed a lot uh, back in the day. But we really needed to do it. And then when I hear um, uh, Too Far Gone, to me it sounds like Nunchaka waiting to happen. And that was when I took a whole new... Uh, direction where I thought you know what I've been you know because you sort of got to understand like we were real kids when we started like real real little kids like we started jamming in year seven so we would have been 12 13 you know did a did a first show when I was 15 years old I think at the end of you know some school party and I don't know we we're just lucky right place right time you know whatever and I think the sort of climate really wanted a band like Hard-Ons at the time because punk rock, I remember, at that stage got quite narky. You know, there was a lot of, I guess, like there were skinhead bands and street punk. You know, there was a lot of macho shit. Um, and, uh, you know, that, all that tough guy shit. And we came out with long hair. You know, we did that pop punk sort of shit. But we did it also, you know, we did a lot of metal covers, you know, we did ACDC, Kiss, um, we did a lot of 60s stuff and just basically jumped around and didn't take ourselves seriously um, in presentation, that is. Obviously, we took, you know, what we were doing, the music, extremely seriously. It, it just sort of exploded. People like, you know, that's right. Music is meant to be, you know, like enjoyable. Whereas, you know, a lot of the gigs that we used to go to back in the day, they always erupted in, you know, some sort of violence with, you know, skinheads punching out the punks and the, you know, you know, people say the good old days, it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, maybe not all aspects. Pretty fucking hairy at times. Yeah. Yeah, and then next thing you know, we've got a record out, then we're overseas and, you know, so there was no sort of real stopping and, and taking any, I guess, self-reflection. It was just, it was 
just holding on and going for it and, and enjoying the absolute shit out of it. So yeah, by the time it got to Yummy, I think that was one of the first times where I sort of, you know, looked around and went, man, I want I, I really, really need to try something else. So in a lot of ways, that might have been our last sort of big, flashy pop single, yeah. I guess. Then we did the album and then, yeah, as I said, yeah, Too Far Gone came out and we tried to branch out a little and yeah, people were quite, well, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the new record as well, Tim coming in the picture, where that conversation began and would that have happened if the pandemic hadn't? I think it would have, yes. Like we needed a singer and you know, that was Ray's idea. And me and Ray discussed a lot of things. I actually don't even want to get, get into it. But, yeah, there were a whole bunch of – like it was pretty exciting to talk about, you know. It's, oh, we could try this, we could try that. And, um, yeah, then Ray just one day goes, I've got a great idea. And, you know, me and Murray looked at him and it's like, what? And he goes, I'm going to ring Tim, see if he wants to join. And we just sort of looked at each other and went, fuck, how good would that be? And it was, it was that simple. Ray rang him and Tim was like, oh, fuck, I would give my left nut, you know. And then next thing you know, we're exchanging demos and then he's driving down to Sydney and we're jamming. It was that simple. You know, I know there was a bit of, you know, what the fuck is this type of thing with a lot of people, but trust me, it was very simple. It was very organic. And I don't even see it being that weird. Like we've known each other forever, similar age, similar timelines, you know, played shows together, you know, bump into each other at Big Day Us and stuff. It's, you know, so, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of um, overlap in musical tastes and, you know, sort of whatever you also want to call it, expectations, skill levels, all that sort of shit. And, um, yeah, I don't know, it was that simple. And, you know, then you've always got to try. You know, there's always that bit where will this or will this not work? And trust me, from the first song, you know, I remember finishing and then, you know, all four of us sort of looked at each other and went, oh, man, this is pretty fucking good. Was there ever a career highlight in terms of someone that you came to work with? Playing San Francisco in this absolutely crazy, crazy bar where half of it was full of the scariest looking fucking dudes you've ever seen. And it's it's weird. They had like a little partition separating that room, which just looked like extras from some bad movie. You know, all the bad guys you've ever, ever known, they're all in that room. And then, you know, all these little punk rock kids, you know, in another room and when, you know, we're blasting away and it's killer. Then the show finishes and there's Jello Biafra and he's like, Oh, I'm quite a fan of you guys. And, you know, or here's another one. This is a massive highlight. When we played with the Ramones, the first show was in Melbourne. And we've loaded the gear and we're outside, you know, just gone back to the car or upside to the van to get something. And up walks Joe Ramone to us. And he, um, he sort of looks at me and he goes, hey, man, I'm really excited. I'm a big fan of you guys. I play you guys on my radio show, you know, back in New York. And me and Ray just looked at each other and went, I, I could die now. <laughs> Being that young boy that discovered music, wanted to be in a band and then got to live out that dream. I mean, you went to America, to, well, overseas to Europe many times. So 
do you pinch yourself and think, wow, that was amazing. We got to do all that. Oh, constantly. You know, constantly. Look, I know one thing with music, I do have a lot of friends who, you know, their own houses, you know, they're successful, you know, they've got families and all that sort of stuff. I mean, obviously I've got a family as well. You know, I have the, the greatest son in the world and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, I don't have a house. I live in the smallest unit, you know, you could imagine, you know, I pay rent and all that sort of crap. But, yeah, I do pinch myself and go, man, you know, fuck, all the things that happened, you know, working with Captain Sensible, you know, touring, you know, America a bunch of times, you know, going, you know, being able to go to Japan, you know, which is one of my favorite places on the planet. And, you know, being in Europe and, you know, bumping into, like, I don't know, all our heroes, you know, it's, it was fucking incredible. Mm. Every, every step of the way. Yeah. There's not one part of it that I look at and go, you know, and I would even do that on tour. You know, sometimes, like, touring isn't always easy. Like, you know, you'd be in a freezing cold van. You know, they got winters that, you know, make our winters look like, you know, like you're in a sauna. And, you know, I'd be sitting, you know, shivering. You know, I've got three socks on. You know, it's like, oh, this is fucking painful. I've slept three hours and, you know, I can feel a flu coming on and, you know, and I know it's 16 hours before we get to the venue. We don't even have time to go to the hotel and have a nap. But I will still pinch myself and go, but look, I'm looking out the window and I'm in Norway. How fucking good is this? (laughs) So good. Yeah, I definitely appreciate all of it. I, I consider myself, and you know, and it's not even just that, like the sheer joy that music gives me and still, you know, and. I don't know. It's it's like music picked me up and it's taken me for a ride, and I'm still on that ride. And it's like, yeah, I I know I'm I know I'm one lucky motherfucker. Pete Black of the Hard Ons and some of his best work just being with you. Get their latest album. I'm sorry, sir. That riff's been taken, which is out now. You can get early and ad-free episodes by becoming a subscriber. Check out the episode notes for more information or the Mushroom channel in Apple Podcasts. I'm Jane Rocker. Thanks for listening.